The following is a podcast from St. George's Episcopal Church in Arlington, Virginia. We invite you to support the ministries of St. George's Church through a one-time or reoccurring donation. To give, visit our webpage, www.stgeorgeschurch.org. The word saint is spelled in full. St. George's is a vibrant and inclusive community that is committed to loving God, serving others, and changing the world. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. God of the prophets, bless the prophets' heirs. May the words of my lips in this moment and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our creator, our redeemer, and our inspirer. Amen. It was in the 90s in New Hampshire that a particularly entertaining video gained popularity. You can Google it. It was titled, The Breakfast of Champions. And no, this once wasn't intended by its creators to be a coded reference to the Eucharist as a spiritual breakfast of champions to start the first day of the week. No, this was in the time before the internet and social media became what they are today. 
before filtered images of everyone else's best lives could become an artificial standard for negative external comparisons. The admonition to stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery takes on new meaning in this brave new world where we find ourselves needing to remember that God has given each of us our own unique calling and role. Life is not a competition. And I also realize that for those under 30, the era before the internet might sound like the time of the dinosaurs. But I'm going to claim my heritage as a card-carrying member of the last generation to remember what life was like before the internet. And I'll also add, while I'm at it, that I did walk uphill to school both ways. No, this Breakfast of Champions video was put on loop in the visitor center on the top of Mount Washington, the highest peak in the presidential range. Indeed, the highest summit in all of the White Mountains. The video showed two employees acting out a high-class breakfast out on the terrace of the weather station on top of the mountain in March of 1990. Mind you, this is the place that held the record for the fastest officially recorded surface wind speed, over 200 miles an hour at that time. And it held this record for over half a century, well into the 90s, although it has since been broken. And I admit, in retrospect, this was not the most ecologically friend friendly video recording as it depicts coffee, Wheaties, and milk being successively poured by a waiter attending to attend to a patron while they are both blasted with winter wind. The coffee goes sideways, the Wheaties go sideways, the milk goes sideways, the milk carton goes sideways, the bowl goes sideways, the coffee cup and tablecloth both disappear into the wind. Around this time, I started to notice that the patron in the snowsuit is holding on to his seat with everything he's got. And the table is at risk of taking this man on a kite-surfing adventure across the top of the mountain. It's this kind of supernatural power beyond anything we can comprehend or control. This is what I imagine unfolding after Elisha followed Elijah across the Jordan to the time and place where Elijah was carried up by a powerful whirlwind, a twister, if you will, lifting him heavenward. After all, when we talk about the Spirit of God, we're talking about the Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word pneuma. I was re reminded recently at the forum that ruach is a feminine noun. The Spirit might just as well be addressed with a feminine pronoun as a masculine one. And inspired, the title of Rachel Held Evans's latest book, last book, considered by many to be her best work, also comes in part from the same root, that she chose the word inspired as another way of interpreting the assertion in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians that all scripture is theonoustos, noustos, containing that root word of pneuma, or spirit. Another way to say this might be that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Spirit of God, caught up in the holy whirlwind, as it were. Ruach, or pneuma, can also describe a breeze or a breath. Jesus talks about how we can see the results of the wind just as we can recognize the power present in someone 
who responds to tough circumstances with a calm depth of presence, breathing deeply and communicating clearly even where vigor is required. We can't see the Spirit, but Galatians reminds us that we can see the results of the Spirit. Agape love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and gentleness, to name a few. These kinds of virtues can't be legislated or outlawed. And we're told that belonging to Christ means crucifying the flesh, breaking it open just as the bread is broken open in the Eucharist. And it seems almost surprising to realize that our broken lives have already become transformed into the substance of Christ. Humor me, if you will, with another story, another vantage point on the power of the whirlwind. It was at the invitation of a friend and classmate, Rashad, that I visited a Bible study at Abyssinian Baptist Church one evening in Harlem. This was back during seminary in the first term of the Obama years. I remember feeling some trepidation since I had actually never been to a Bible study before. Sure, by that point I had been to a variety of discussion groups on faith, not to mention countless book studies and other church fellowship events. I would discussed scripture before, but Episcopalians, the Episcopalians I had known in my experience growing up and in college, didn't really participate in Bible studies, or at the very least hadn't billed their continuing education as such. I had no idea what, if anything, I could contribute to such a study, and still being relatively unfamiliar with the form and structure of such a gathering, I was also aware of feeling somewhat unsure in my own white skin, especially as I walked with Rashad into one of the most prominent and historically significant black Baptist churches in Harlem. And I still remember Rashad praying at the beginning of our time together, asking that a double portion, a double share of God's Spirit would fall on us. I believe he was citing the King James Version of our Hebrew Bible passage from this morning. Ay, caramba. I was shocked. Here we were, none of us ordained, gathering with other members of the church, and here the prayer was invoking a clear claim of this lineage of spiritual leadership that came from Elijah, through Elisha, and on down through the ages, to the very place where I found myself at that very hour. If we are ever on the hunt for a moment where leadership is in transition in Scripture, it's hard to find a more evocative moment than the one we heard from the Hebrew Bible this morning. This is the renewal of a movement for the very soul of the nation of Israel. And as Elijah departs, the chariots of fire bearing him up are a witness to Elisha that God is in the fight for justice across the land. We might recall that Jesus, too, was taken up. Our gospel passage this morning remind us, reminded us that this was imminent. And the feast of the ascension was not so long ago in our church calendar. The gospel, according to Luke and the book of Acts, actually disagree on some of the details of how this ascension happened. For example, whether Jesus was actively blessing the disciples while he was being taken up, 
And in the first chapter of Acts, there are two mysterious men dressed in white, angels, who show up rather instantaneously to give us some comic relief after the big moment, upbraiding the men for continuing to stare dumbfounded in the sky after Jesus had already finished ascending. I imagine the subtext of them saying, in effect, why are you looking at the sky? Now is the time to get to work. But in that moment, it was the disciples who saw Christ taken up into the clouds, those same clouds that race across the sky on winds that pass by Mount Washington at 200 miles an hour at times, thundering with a power that's beyond our comprehension at a speed that's beyond anything we could accomplish without technological assistance. Indeed, with an awesome might that is on a larger scale than any military machine made by human hands. In Christ's time of ascension, this was how the disciples were blessed with the double portion. A new outpouring of the same Holy Spirit that was in Christ during his earthly ministry. Christ promised us, his disciples, that very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. In the disciples' presence and witness of Christ's ascension is a testament to that promise. Back in our Hebrew Bible text, Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And I pray, please, let us all inherit a double share of your spirit. Amen.